Happy Father's Day to all the fathers in this community, by the way. You are such an amazing people. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know about you. I often look at myself. I said, me, a father, it's a miracle. It's really a miracle. It's, uh, it's one of the most scaring things I never even wanted to think about. <laughs> Before, before I got married. And, uh, um, but the, the truth is that the reason we continue to see it a joy, I think a lot of parents who agree with me, it's, it's because of what Shelley just said. We've got a very good, good father. Uh, if we look at the way he loves us, the way he cares for us, our father in heaven, we can actually give the same love uh, to our kids and to those around us. And um, so um, you, I hope that today the Lord who, who really uh, encourages you, I'm not speaking on uh, being a good father, but I pray that you will reflect on this day and say there is a father in case maybe you don't have a good example of uh, how that father figure maybe in your life maybe you've never really had a good picture but I want you to know there is a God there is a father who loves you and you can look up to him and uh, he can equip you as he continue to equip um, us as his children to be good parents to be good fathers so this morning um, we are back in the book of Mark <clears throat> and um, I'm going to be we are going to be looking together uh, from Mark chapter 10. Um, Mark chapter 10, um, verse 17 to uh, verse 31. So I hope it's going to be, um, it will be on the screen. And uh, I'm so excited that we are back into the book of Mark. <clears throat> So let's read together. And as he was setting out on his way, uh, referring, speaking about Jesus, a man ran and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to emulate eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. In other version, it's do not lie. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come. Follow me. 
disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In other version, it says he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it is, or how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the high of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. When you read in other Gospels, Peter actually followed up his statement with the question. The question to ask Jesus, what are we going to gain? Jesus said, truly I said to you, there is no one who has left his house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake, for the gospel. I want you to underline that, for my sake, for the gospel. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers, and sisters and mothers, and children, and lands with uh, persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to sit and hear from you. As Shelly has prayed, Lord, I pray that you'd use me just your vessel, as your vessel, to pass your message. Dear Lord, I pray that you touch hearts, you transform us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you bring us in this moment that we are not just going to be physically here, but I pray that you cause us to be present in our minds, our hearts, that we may hear from you. Once again, thank you, Lord, for for the great privilege that we have to gather in this manner. And for those who are following online, Lord, I pray for them that Holy Spirit, you would speak to them as well. In your name, Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. This is a very interesting story. When we look, at, we look into this, um, uh, this particular passage, and the verses that we've just read, we can actually break it up into three groups. And um, one, we can look at, uh, you know, Jesus is speaking to, the, to this young 
rich ruler can take from verse 17 to, to verse 22. The other part we can look from 23 all the way to 27 where Jesus speaks about wealth. You know, he's actually teaching about wealth. And uh, then from 28 to 31 is Jesus is trying to speak about the rewards that you get. He's talking to his disciples. Um, what I've done is I've decided not to go to spend so much time around Jesus' conversation with the disciples, the rewards. Um, but I want to spend much time on Jesus himself, wealth, and also looking at um, the rich, young ruler. Now, there is this very interesting quote uh, from Tim, and I'd want to read that for us. It's not all that clear, but here is what Tim uh, Keller actually comments about this particular story. He said, here is a man who is pulled together as degrees from the right places, Stellenbosch, UCT, UWC, he actually, I'm adding those in, they're not there, but he's got the right, you know, he's got degrees from the right places. I'm using Stellenbosch for this because these are the right places we know in Cape Town. He's on a partnership track, has already made millions you know, he's, he's made so much money. And he's only 28 years old. Mm. Yet, to his surprise, he finds himself seeking out gurus and rabbis, rabbis and saying, I am missing something. Do you know of anything I am missing? I've accomplished a lot, but I sense there is one more thing I need to do. I'm ready to open up a spiritual portfolio. What do I have to put in there? I am willing to make some changes. Just tell me what to do. Yes, a 28-year-old young, rich millionaire, but he realized that there was something that is is missing. So what is the aim of my message this morning? The, the number one, I've got two objectives. The first one is to help you look to the true rich young ruler who is Jesus. Look up to him. And the second is invite you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Those are the two things that I would like to achieve out of today's message. At the end of the day, if you are to walk out of these places, I am praying that you are going to be one of the people who you, you, will, you, will, you, will, you will seek first God's kingdom and you are going to really put all your trust in Jesus and not trusting anything else and just trusting him and him alone. I remember in my mid-twenties, in this country, I was so preoccupied, so busy, 
making sure that I don't really lose any hour, any minutes, or any time. I was working Monday to Sunday, and I was really, really killing it, working day and night, and wanting to make sure and that I had my own reasons to justify that. No time for God. I was looking for what this young man already had. But this young man realized that he was looking for something that he did not have. But that thing I had it, but I did not understand the value of it. I remember one Sunday morning, I've told the story before, I walked into Friends First Church. That day, the Lord spoke to me from his words. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 31 to 33, where, you know, Jesus said, you, you are not supposed to worry. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry what you are going to eat, what you are going to dress, and all these things. And seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. I remember walking out of that meeting, crying, crying, weeping. That was the time that God started to change my heart. Was I already a Christ follower? Yes, I was. But my view and perspective on work, on life, and all these things, and my view and perspective on God, in other ways, I was wanting to make sure that I get to the place of this, like this young man here, the one we're going to be looking at today. So busy, not trusting God, not seeking his kingdom, but wanting to build my own kingdom. I have to mention up front that the call to follow Jesus involves a cost of followership. If you choose to follow Jesus, it involves a cost of followership. When we started this journey, we look in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 20. Fishermen left their nets. They left the boat. That is a cost of followership. They dropped those things and followed Jesus. A tax collector, he left his tax table. That's what we saw in chapter 2, verse 14 of Mark. And Peter, in chapter 8, verse 30, 33, is false conception of the Messiah. He needed to let it go. So there is a cost when we choose to follow Jesus. And in this story today, we are going to see, was this man really willing to pay the price. And the question is, are you willing to actually pay the price, the cost? We have to understand Jesus has already paid the most, you know, the highest cost of all. He has already paid it. He's paid it for us. We are going to see that. So, now, I like 
One of the commentaries on this story, one man wrote, he said, the call to follow Jesus does not constitute an additional obligation in life. Say this, it does not constitute an addition obligation in life, but rather judges, it, it judges, replaces, and subordinates, in other words, control all obligations and all other commitments to the one who says, follow me. Anything, even the obligation to parents, as we see in Matthew chapter 8, verse 21. This guy is saying, can I go bury my father? I said, no, no. You're, you're not supposed to go. You are not to go. So there is a cost to followership of Jesus Christ. Now let's look at these verses starting from verse 17. As I said, we are going to talk about Jesus' wealth, the rich young ruler, and, and, and we want to learn some few lessons with the goal to seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness and with a goal to trust in a true, rich, young ruler who is Jesus himself. So, in verse 17, we see that Jesus is still in Judea. I put a map down so that you can see Jesus was in his way to Jerusalem. When we read the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew identifies this man here who approached Jesus as young. When we read in chapter 19, verse 20. And Luke calls him a ruler in chapter 18, verse 18. And that's where we ended up with a topic called the rich young ruler. But when we look in, you know, Mark himself, Mark is not calling this man any name. When you read, Mark calls him in Greek simply one or certain person. That's what Mark said. One or a certain person. The man ran up. He's not saying the rich man, young ruler. No, he said the man ran up to Jesus and fell on his knees before him. Now, there is something that we can learn about this man here. His speed and submission suggest his seriousness to become a disciple of Jesus. The fact that he went quick and threw himself, he knew down, and the way he went under, we have to understand this is a man of influence. He's very rich. He's got it all together. He's invested in properties. He's got all that. He's got millions. But he sees Jesus and he goes before him and he went down. It sends a very positive message to Jesus. I am willing to follow you. Imagine, just a side note, if this is the kinds of approach Christ followers if this is the kind of attitude we can have every time we go before the Father, every time we approach him in worship, every time we approach him in prayer, every time we go before him, imagine if we can have this 
types of, this type of approach. Then the man said, good teacher. He asked, what must I do so that I can get eternal life? What must I do? By the way, it's good to mention that in the gospel of Mark, so far, not the disciples, no one has ever asked Jesus such kind of a question. He's the only guy. At last, Jesus is asked the essential question, capable of, you know, reviewing the secret of his ministry. What can I do? What can I do so that I can be in that kingdom, an ending kingdom, the kingdom of God? What must I do? What a great question. He calls him a good teacher. This man might have been hearing rumors from verse 1 where Jesus spoke about divorce in the same chapter. Or maybe he was present. He saw how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees. Then we saw in verse 13 how Jesus spoke about God's kingdom. That's the reason why this guy maybe come quicker. and said, you know what? I want that. I want to enter. I want us to read so that you can understand where is this man coming from. If we read verse 13, and they were bringing children to Jesus, to him, Jesus, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, or showing anger, and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I said to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So, it started in, in verse, you know, in verse 1, coming all the way, talks about divorce, then you get in verse 13, Jesus is, is dealing now with the issue of the kingdom of God. And this man, in verse 17, appeared. He ran to Jesus. I want to enter. He receives a clear picture of the kingdom than anyone so far in Mark's gospel. This guy's got a picture of what it means. What's the kingdom of God is like. And he displays great eagerness in accepting it. It really shows the interest, the desire. He wants to accept the kingdom of God. He runs to Jesus. He goes down before him, giving Jesus great honor, reserved for great teachers of the law. That was the honor only reserved for great teachers of the law, but he gave it to Jesus. He's excited, that's what we can see, to know what he must do to have eternal life. 
He's just waiting for Jesus to tell him, tell me what to do. I am ready. I'm excited about what you've just, what I've heard about you, what I've seen. And I am excited. I want to enter. Give me, give me this. What must I do? Is that not the attitude of most people? What must I do so that I can earn? So the Jewish people of the day would say the way to life was by keeping the commandments. But this fellow, this man, understood that or he understands there is more than that. And we are going to discover that now. He understands that there should be more than just keeping the commandments. There should be more when it comes to a way to life than just keeping the commandment. In verse 18, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Why do you call me good? Here we see that Jesus does something interesting. Jesus withholds the anticipated answer. Perhaps he senses that the question of the man's lips is not the question of his heart. So what this man is asking is not what is coming maybe from his heart. Instead of Jesus giving him the answer directly, Jesus would have actually said to him, you know what, because you are so interested, because you show that you are really willing, etc. You know what, Here's the answer. But Jesus withheld the answer. Why? Because this man had a totally different view of who Jesus is. This man had all things ticked when it comes to external judgment, when it comes to measure the standards of life, what it means to be a good person. And we are going to discover this man got it all right. But the only God who can see the heart understood that there is something that is missing with this man. There is a deficit in his life. And if I don't get to the root of that deficit, this man will continue to view me just as a good teacher. But yet, Jesus is not just a good teacher. Jesus is the Lord and Savior. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. And sometimes people, when they read this particular verse, they, do, they go quick, they said, you know, you see that? Jesus is saying he's not God. No. He was trying to get to the, re- to the real issue. Your view of Jesus plays a huge role, determines how you relate yourself to God. If you've got a poor view of Jesus, then the level of worship you give Jesus is just going to be poor. So here we see that Jesus is actually testing this man to see if he understands. He understands 
the impact, the implications of his words. You call me good teacher? Do you actually understand what that means? And I have to remind us that in chapter 8, in the same book, Jesus asked the disciples the question, what do you think people are saying? What are people saying about me? What are people saying about me? So if this guy would have said, I come to you the Messiah, Jesus wouldn't have asked him the question, why do you call me good teacher? In Mark 8, 29, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. This man was lacking something. And Jesus said, Good teacher is not enough. There is only one who is good, and that is God. Romans 3, 10 to 12. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Only the divine Messiah, Christ, could give him that eternal life. Only Jesus could give him that eternal life. The eternal life he desired, it was only Jesus who could give him. But he was looking for Jesus to tell him the things that he must do. And Jesus is going slowly with him. Jesus is forcing him and us to look to God for any hope of genuine goodness and eternal life. That's what Jesus is trying to get to here. Jesus is challenging the man to understand the implication for his statement. To call Jesus is good is to call him God. And Jesus wants him to get that. If you call me good, because it is only God, only one, who is good. So if you are calling me good teacher, then do you understand the implication that I am God? And if Jesus is not God, then he would be like the rest of humanity. There are so many good teachers so many people being called good teachers, and that's not enough. Jesus said in verse 19, He said, It sums up the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. In other words, don't lie, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. It's good that it is Father's Day today. You have to honor your father, and you have to honor your mother. 
Obviously, there is implication to that. Uh, Jesus, when we read the commandments, you know what, what God says about that. But that's not the point here. The man, in verse 20, and he said to him, teacher. Look, this is the second time. He, he's not now calling him good teacher. He just called him teacher. You can see how it's, it's, going, it, it's coming from good to teacher. When, we read, when you read your Bibles, it's important to check words matter. It's important to look into the words. So he, he says, good teacher. Now this time in verse 20, he goes, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. I've done all that you said. And I think I'm ready to get into your kingdom because if it's only about these things, I got it all right. And in verse 21, Jesus said, uh, we are told that Jesus, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Friends, we need to understand here, Jesus is not saying go sell Therefore, you will enter in God's kingdom. He says, God shall you have treasure in heaven. So even the act of going to sell his stuff and give to the poor does not get him, does not give him access, does not give him a ticket to get into God's kingdom. But it gives him, Jesus said, you know, you will have treasures in heaven. But the most important thing here is that come Follow me. Trust me. Believe in me. Don't trust the things that you are trusting. Sometimes we think that if one follows the law, you take all the things, therefore you start to think that you are already qualified to enter into God's kingdom. Even with the law, even if you had kept all the law, Jesus said you, there is something else that you still have to do. There is an idol in your life. And that idol is the one that is blocking you. That idol is the one that is stopping you. If only you can give it away. If only you can actually go and clear it off. And in the case of this man, it's the idol of wealth, money, status, all these things that he had. They were an obstacle to him. How about you? How about me? Maybe we are so good with money, but what about the list of things that have just been mentioned here? Will you say you are a good person? And, and, and where do you get that definition of being good? Is it because you attend church meetings every Sunday? Is it because you save? 
Is it because you give of your resources, your time, and all that? Can you say that's what makes you to be a good person? Or maybe there is something in your life that God is wanting to highlight this morning. And it's because of that thing, there is no way you can stand here and say, you know what, I'm a good person. Now let me give you an example. Or maybe it can come in a form of a question. Have you ever, just pause and think, in your life, have you ever lied? Even those small lies? Anyone willing to give me the answer? Good people, good question. Now, how, how, do you, how do you call someone who lies? Is a who? It's a liar. So who are you? You are a liar. There are so many things that can stand on our way. And God is saying, Jesus here is saying, I don't want anything to stand on your way between you and me. He's saying to this young, rich ruler, he said, this wealth is standing between you and me. This is the problem. That's the one thing that is lacking. Go clear it up. And here, it is very interesting to see how Jesus is bringing in, if we go back into verse 13, how he looks at the children who had nothing, but he's saying the kingdom of, of God. He's asking nothing from this. He's not telling them you are lacking anything, the children. But he's saying to this rich young ruler, he said, you are lacking something. But these little ones are lacking. So to get into there, you need, you need really to empty yourself. Like these little ones. When you empty yourself completely, God is not saying, I don't think a call here is to say, go out now and go sell all that you've got, go give all your money. But it's to assess our hearts. What is it that is standing between you and God? What is it that is standing between me and God? What do you lack? And um, as we read in verse 21, looking at him, I want you to understand this. And I did a bit of research on that. The word for looked at, when you read it in Greek, is an intensified compound of the normal word for look. It says, you know, Jesus really looked at a person. He examined this man. Because sometimes people, when they speak about this young, rich ruler, they say that he was an hypocrite. He was trying to manipulate Jesus, but here we are taught Jesus, looking at him, Jesus really checked his heart. This guy was genuine. 
If it wasn't, Jesus wouldn't have loved him. He loved the guy because he could see that this guy was really willing. He was desiring. He wanted to follow Jesus. And the word love here, it's agape, is the highest form of love in the New Testament, meaning love that characterizes God and of which God is worthy. They must have something very admirable about this man. Something that Jesus saw in him that he loved him. Maybe there was his commitment to the commandments. But then what goes wrong with this man? Afterwards, the man who was willing to follow Jesus. But as, as we progress, we, we, we discover that there is something that this man is not wanting to let go in his life. So even though this young man was honest and sincere, Jesus wants him to see that God must be God in your life. God must be God. No one and nothing can stand between him and us. Nothing. You don't allow anything to stand between you and God. We see that this man's wealth occupied a place that only God should have occupied in his life. That's what wealth did to him. His wealth, his status, was his idol, was his God. His trust was in the things that he had. His trust was looking at the account and said, do I actually need this? Do I actually need this? I can see that my bank account is so full. I can live tomorrow. Even if the economy goes down, I can count. I can see that I can still survive without even the kingdom itself. Jesus is calling us to put away anything that would be an obstacle to following him. He wants us to seek his kingdom first. He wants us to trust him. He's wanting us to put aside the things that can be an obstacle when it comes to following him. And as I said, when, when I started at the beginning, I said, there is a cost when it comes to the followership of Jesus. Again, Tim, Tim Keller in his book, King's Cross, says this, when Jesus called this young man to give up his money, the man started to grieve. Think about this. He started to grieve because money was for him what the father was for Jesus. It was the center of his identity. To lose to lose himself. Friends, let me ask you, what is it that you are so scared of letting go? What is it that you don't want to put your hands off? Is it maybe you are waking up in the morning, 
You look into your bank account, you said, I'm, I'm, I'm still doing great. Even if the economy is shaking, I'm still doing great. Let me tell you, that can affect your relationship with God because your trust is not in God. You look at yourself, your career, you look at your, your, the relationships that you've got. You said, even if I lose this job, I'll get another one tomorrow. So it doesn't really matter. Tim said that this man, his identity was attached to his wealth. That's always the case. That's always the case. What you treasure the most, if you don't treasure Christ the most in your life, is what you treasure. That's where all your energy goes. Is it your work? Is it ministry like for me? It can be ministry. If I treasure ministry, if I treasure the church, the work, or more than God, it can become something that gives, start to feed me, and I feel good about it. Then I feel like if it's taken away from me, then I'm going to lose something of myself. But God is calling us to say, we have to look up to him. We have to look up to him. Not to the resources, not to the things that we've got. But we have to look up to him. The reaction of this young rich ruler was a huge shock. He was in shock when he heard Jesus say to him, you have to go sell the things. Listen to another quote. I think everyone should get rich. This is Jim Kerr. I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so that they can see that answer is not there. Do you want to get rich? Is that what you want to prioritize? Is is, is it the thing that is getting you not to sleep at night? It is blocking. It is hindering your relationship with God. Get it. You are going to realize that it won't give you what you are thinking you get out of it. There are things that money cannot buy. If Jesus would have told this man to say, you know what, just deposit this amount of money in my ministry account, give it to Judas, then you are in. This man would have just done like that. I don't know, we are not told if that's something maybe he was expecting. Because he has, he has kept all these other things well, but we are not told if he was expecting such kind of a response to say, you know, it's going to, the, the wealth you've got, or maybe give us a building and we can be doing our meetings there, then you are in. You become a member, you are actually one of the partners, then it's done for you. That's not the case. Shelly is looking at time. <laughs> we are still doing well. Amen. As I mentioned at, at the beginning, the aim 
is not here, the three points here are the four points. The goal is for you to put God at the center. The goal is for you and me to, to desire more of Jesus. The goal is to let go of things that are standing between us and God. The goal is to seek his kingdom first and its righteousness. So what should we say about wealth and poverty from this account? Because I've heard some other people preach on this. They said, you are to be poor in order for you to enter God's kingdom. Now, this is not what Jesus was saying here. Two things may be said about the scripture attitude towards wealth. And, um, and we have to understand that on one end, wealth was commonly regarded as a sign of God's blessing. And Jesus here is not condemning people to be rich. Don't get it wrong. Jesus is not saying it's a sin for you to have wealth. Um, we read in Psalm 128, blesses everyone who fears the Lord, who walks, verse 1 and 2, in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. It doesn't mean that when you are blessed, it's a sin. No, it's the fruits of your labor. What Jesus is going for here is not the fact that this man was rich. It's the fact that his wealth stood between him and God. Isaiah 3 verse 10. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them. For they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Again, it, there is a blessing. If we walk with God, we trust him, we work with our hands, God blesses us. If we honor him, God continues to bless us. But there is nothing wrong for us to, be, to, to, to have um, all these blessings from God. But two things when it comes to the relationship between poverty and wealth, what we can learn here is that Jesus does not teach or uphold poverty as an ideal. That we should understand. But it does, as here, regards the awareness of the need that results from poverty as a blessing. And the other thing is that the greatest enemies to faith and obedience to God are self-satisfaction and pride. Those are the greatest enemies. When it comes to faith and obedience to God, it's self-satisfaction and pride. And nothing can remove these things or those, these, kind, these two obstacles more effectively if not on poverty. Do you know what can take pride away? It's poverty. Self-satisfaction. Only poverty can take it away. That's what Jesus was going for with this man. You are very proud you are self-sufficient, and I want you to go give away what you've got, then come follow me. Give it to the poor. So the teaching here is not that the poor are the ones who, who go to heaven only, because when we read from verse 23 to, 38, uh, to 31, 
We are, getting, we are going to be landing shortly. When we read from verse 23, now Jesus is interacting with his disciples. When that man left, and Jesus said in verse 23, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And we are told in verse 24 that his disciples were amazed at his words. Now, they did not just keep quiet. They were amazed. So they were in big shock, just like the, the, the rich young ruler. They were also in shock when they heard this. So they had also a deficit within them. They were, in, they were amazed at his words, but let's see their reaction. They were very shocked. In verse 25, when Jesus he speaks about it is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more astonished. And they said, then, who can be saved? Who can be saved? If you are saying that it's really difficult for rich people, then who can be saved? I love Jesus' response in verse 27. He said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. Jesus is trying to tell us that there is hope for all kinds of people, whether you are rich, whether you are poor. It is God's work, God's grace is given to all the people. All things are possible with God. There is nothing wrong to have wealth. God may bless you, but the danger, the only thing that can eliminate that is either you give it up to God, you say, God, you know what? I don't want this to be where my hope and confidence come from. I want my hope and confidence come from, coming from you. I don't want to trust in these things. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to practically take them and go give them to the poor. No, it was the case with this a rich young ruler, but for you, maybe God is saying, you know what? There is a shift that has to happen. I want you to trust me. I want you to have your confidence in me. I want you to have your hope in me because I am the source of those things and the, I am the one who can bless you even more than what you have. Bless you not only with material things, but bless you with eternal blessings. This young, rich Ruler failed to trust God. And then, finishing up, we see Peter, a courageous one. In verse 28, he said, but we've left everything and followed you. So we are on the good side. We are not like that guy. We've left everything. But what are we going to get? Because we've left everything. Again, going back to my my story is that uh, that was the case. I believe in you, Jesus. I'm expecting some stuff to start to change, to happen quicker, things to go well. And because they're not happening, I'm going to start to work hard myself, to do things myself so that I can create my own kingdom because there is nothing that I'm getting from your kingdom. But I love Jesus' response. He said, there is no one. You cannot leave your brother, you cannot leave your wife, you cannot leave your, your sister, you cannot leave all the... And, and just, just 
to lose all those things like that, you're not going to lose them. Let me tell you the practical example of what Jesus is talking about. I used to think I come from a very big family. But when I accepted Jesus, Jesus actually gave me hundredfold when he threw me into the spiritual community. I've got so many parents in this, fam- in this community than just my biological parents. I've got many brothers here and sisters. I've got so many people I can go to, I can call than my own biological. This is the blessing because I trusted in Jesus. And Jesus is demonstrating, he's behind his way. He said, you are going to have more than what you've got. Maybe you don't understand that. You've got so much more than what you had before. Shelly, two minutes. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. Just teasing you. Okay. Just two minutes, Alex. We'll be done. Friends, if you don't know it, The brothers in this community, the sisters, the parents, they are your relatives. God has given them to you. God has put you in a bigger family. Final one. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 to 10. But goodness with contentment is great again. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. People who love money so much have wandered away from faith and they've put themselves in a lot of trouble. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I want to pray. I want us to get a moment of prayer. If you can please join me to stand. I want us to pray together. And I know the question maybe you might ask is, so what? So what? Here's the answer. Seek the kingdom and trust God like a child. And secondly, look at the true rich young man who is Jesus himself. Romans 10, 9 to 11, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Do you want to believe in Jesus right now? Do you want to trust him? Please, if you feel comfortable, I'll ask you to close your eyes. I don't want to rush this time. I just want to to say to some of you, maybe it's your first time that you are exploring uh, the claims of Jesus. 
maybe you are following online or maybe you are with us here the invitation is to all people there is nothing that is impossible with God God wants to give you this gift the gift of eternal life the gift of his salvation when we think about what Christ has done he's done so much already for you he's done for me he went on to the cross he paid the price for our sins we are justified by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ it's God's grace do you want to say yes to following Jesus do you want to throw all those things that are standing between you and him and if that's you I just want to lead you into a short prayer just quiet where you are and say dear Lord Jesus thank you for your weight this morning Thank you that you love me so much. Thank you that you are willing to welcome me in your kingdom. I don't want to run away like this young rich ruler, but I want to surrender all to you. I want to stand here. I want to say yes. I want to follow you. Help me, God. Forgive me of my sins. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Save me, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Dear Lord, I pray for the rest of us. I pray that you'd help us. I pray for Christ followers. I pray that God your ongoing grace and favor. Holy Spirit, I pray that you help us not to allow anything to stand between you and us. Empower us, Holy Spirit. Give us the strength to say no to things that may mislead us. Give us the power to stand against sin. Give us the power to say no to things that does not glorify you. Help us, Lord. We cannot do this without you. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Help us to seek your kingdom first and its righteousness. Help us to trust you, the true, rich, and young ruler, Jesus of Nazareth. In your name, Christ, I pray. Amen.